you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. Thank you, Mount Baker. dump and away we go you're listening to live on four legs the live pearl jam podcast experience featuring this is stone gossip Fucking camera in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs a definitive live pearl jam podcast and we're in the thick of the tour of course however i think we need to bring up right from the start before we really introduce the show that we are recording this at a point where we only know what happened in one of the four shows to date because obviously this comes out on a wednesday the la shows happen on friday and saturday and the phoenix slash glendale show happen on monday we are recording this friday night before the first la show happens so i just want to touch up on that beforehand that we aren't really going to talk about the tour in this because it just wouldn't make sense we don't have any information however if you do want tour information we have recaps of both la shows and the phoenix show and of, of course the San Diego one that came out last week. We will have the reactions from all three of those shows on our Patreon, and that's patreon.com slash live on four legs, and you'll be able to get the reaction episodes there. With all that being said, we are actually heading back to Vault Month, and what Vault Month means, obviously, last week, Great Western Forum, kind of dealing with the forum before getting into those LA shows, and this week, we are going to do the Mount Baker show, which is really the, the kickstart of the binaural era. There's some interesting things to kind of talk about with this, and obviously, it, it, a new era and a new millennium for Pearl Jam and how things would uh they they would start to change they would start to change a little bit and then of course much later than that they would change a lot so I think it would be interesting to kind of dissect it'll be interesting to kind of go over the vault aspect of this and why would I tee anything else up now because we could just talk about it straight up Randy Sobel over here John Farrar over there hello hello yeah, th- this came out as a vault. This was what, like the seventh or eighth? This was a little bit later, I think, right? Yeah, I think so. Twenty seventeen, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that makes sense. So I I think it might have been the one right after Great Western, right? 
because I wasn't really collecting the vaults. That that wasn't a thing that I was doing, you know, like five, six, seven years ago. I I, I just I don't know if I didn't have the knowledge of it or if I just kind of ignored it. I, I didn't want to spend the money for it, but I, I really wasn't paying attention when this got announced as a vault release. What was your reaction? Did you think that this was a good selection for it? I think so, because it's always interesting, you know, the way, you know, I like to think of it as, you know, give me the closest thing to the original. And like so many debuts here, you're getting almost all the binaural, really first or second versions. And yeah, I mean, I, I had heard it, but not in the pristine vault quality. So yeah, I thought this was a was a good choice. You know, it's a smaller show. I think there's only like 1,100 people there. And, you know, going back to like Vic Theater and stuff, they've kind of chosen these to be highlighted. So it is kind of a unique atmosphere, uh, which is always interesting for a vault. So yeah, I mean, I, I was always jumping on these, you know, every time they would announce one, I would go ahead and, and do the pre-order and everything. And, you know, of course, you know, the packaging, all the photos, everything is fantastic. All the, the handwritten set list images mm-hmm. and everything on there. It's very cool. And and it sounds great. So, you know, we're going to talk a lot about Mike in this one. Mike in, in 2000, just stellar. And to hear him in the vault, you know pristine sound is, is it just fantastic so yeah i thought it was a good choice you know there have been many times in pearl jam's career where they've decided to highlight the binaural record so this was a, a good opportunity to do that yeah that makes a lot of sense and look i think the show is unique to itself but it's not the first time that they've done something like this just debuting everything from a record in a small venue as sort of like a warm-up uh, you can go back to the show box no code show Back in Seattle, September 1996 that that happened. You can even go back to Slims, which is well before Versus. And obviously, you know, a much more difficult show to get into. And what, there were like 200, 300 people there, almost nobody. And then I I wouldn't count the Piss Bottle Men's stuff. It was kind of like the, yes, the coming out party for the Vitalogy songs is being taken from their live aspect that was played in 1994 because basically all of them were played and then sort of seeing how they developed and really got refurbished. Yeah. The self-pollution probably the self-pollution show would probably be that's fair. The warm up. Yeah, that's fair to say. Sure. And then, and then yield, you kind of have like the honking seal show from Santa Cruz. You kind of have that, but that wasn't, every single year you can even kind of defer to the monkey wrench recording with that so just about every album up until that point had something like this which is very interesting and now you're getting to this point where look you're past the yield era and this is matt cameron's first album so i think there's some anticipation there like okay what can they do in the studio with matt and I think also at the time, you, you, you just can't talk about 2000 without talking about the music landscape in general. And while other acts were evolving and getting bigger and rising to more popularity, you can say that it's the new metal stuff. You can kind of say that it's the rise for rap and hip hop to kind of really be at the top of the top 40 tracks. And Pearl Jam kind of sticking to what they always did sort of got left in the shuffle a little bit. They were sort of left out of all this stuff. 
and it's and it's interesting because it's not like Pearl Jam is going back to a uh, standard rock and roll Pearl Jam for this record. This record can be considered a little out there. It has some songs that maybe to the person that loved uh, that aspect that I just mentioned about Pearl Jam, just the straight up rock and roll, it might be a little tougher to digest for that person. Yeah, it's a it's a difficult record. You know, they were still growing and still changing and still evolving at this point. You know, they were still kind of coming together as a band. You know, adding Matt Cameron was a big part of that. So, yeah, I mean, by 2000, like you said, like alt-rock, whatever that entails, was pretty much dead. But they had kind of carved out their little niche in the rock and roll world where they could still, you know, tour and have it be successful and like you know they weren't playing state fairs or anything like that they never got to that point but yeah it was just kind of like you know oh you're still into them hmm they're still around right okay and like i never heard anything off of binaural on the radio like i don't remember it was still you were still hearing you know jeremy and yellow lit better and black and alive and even flow and all that stuff so just ignored by radio but people know like when they announced the bootlegs, that was a big part of it, of like building this culture around the band that sustains, you know, to this day. And is, is, we're part of that as well. I got, I got, I got a little bit of a story I want to tell, and I, I didn't prepare to tell this story. I just kind of, it popped in my head right now. So I'm just going to tell it back in, I believe this was 2003. I was working in a little town market over the summer and like this, this beach town over the summer. And I worked with, strangely enough, my next door neighbor. I, I worked with her and it's not like it was kind of happenstance. It's not like, you know, somebody, one of us referred to, to us, but, I, you know, somebody I knew from the time I was three years old. So I was, I was pretty close to her and I knew her older brother was really into Pearl Jam. And, and that, there's actually a person that her brother is friends with that I've become close with that's within this community. So it's kind of come full circle a little bit, but you know, I worked in the market aspect. I was pretty much stocking shelves and, you know, bagging ice and stuff like that. Anything, any random test they wanted me to do. And she was working in the ice cream shop. And I remember specifically one day, this was 2003. So it was riot act and the tour was happening and it was shortly after MSG. I want to say, and I remember she came into work wearing a binaural tour shirt and probably something that she had got from one of the Jones beach shows. If I were to make a guess or that her brother got it for her, but I do remember her being pretty into Pearl jam at the time. I don't remember what her response was, but I remember saying specifically, oh, isn't that the bad Pearl Jam album? Like, isn't that the Pearl Jam album that nobody uh-huh. likes? Right. And she looked at me and she's like, I like it. What are you talking Something around those lines. Like, you know, how, how dare you make a comment about a shirt that I'm wearing? And yeah. I was 16. I made comments about freaking everything that was out of out of pace you know i i didn't care i specifically remember saying that and i i wonder if that aspect is a reason why it took me a lot longer to really get into this album more than the rest of the albums and again that's that's sort of a it's not a fair thing to say because Mm -hmm. 
by Gnarl on its own is is very very good. I think I've had my issues with it with the with the the, the track listing and and the flow a little bit and what could have been on the album from the original sense, but it's got amazing songs on it. Some Pearl Jam's best and some songs that really deserve to kind of be brought back into the fold soon. Yeah, hopefully. I mean it's uh like I said it's it's a difficult record. It's not one that opens its arms and welcomes you in like a backspacer or lightning bolt or even to some extent like a 10 it's like a different thing like this is a record that you've got to like spend time with and really listen to and let it kind of seep into you you know it's not something that a rock fan in the in 2000 is going to hear and be like oh yeah like I'll, this kicks ass like no of course not it's it's weird it's like minor key it's dark like yeah, this is recording a recording techniques too. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, not not accessible compared to a lot of the later stuff and the earlier stuff. So, for a lot of people that was like a barrier to entry. Like they heard it and was like, "Nope, I'm out. I'm done." Yeah. And it what's so weird is that you kind of kick off the record and Breaker Fall is such a like a powerful like classic kind of punk rock Pearl Jam song and I could see people being into that and then the next two kind of have that same energy and then mm-hmm. there's somewhere in the middle where it just wavers a little bit and I think that's where people sort of are like okay I don't know what to do with this stuff I'm out but that kind of ruins it for songs like Insignificance and Grievance and even a song like Parting Ways that really deserve more attention and respect from this record for being how good they are, you know? Like, yeah. casual people, yeah. especially, uh, you, you gotta go back to April. In very early April, they went on Letterman, they played Grievance, and that was, you know, besides Nothing As It Seems, which was the single, quote-unquote, at the time, like you said, not really on the radio, but it was their single, so it was probably the first opportunity that a lot of the fans got to hear what this record was going to be and it's in the same sort of aspect as who you are that it's not Mm -hmm. supposed to be made to make money it's not supposed to be made to draw people in it's to say either you're you're in or you're out that's it either you like it or you don't we know it's not going to make us money we know it's not going to get placed on on the the modern rock stations and stuff like that we know that but you know, if you like it, then come on board. If you don't, then we'll see you another time. But that's yeah. and they didn't care. Yeah, um, it's. I mean, it's it's an artistic statement, and I think we talked about it when we did. Oh, this is a couple of years ago at this point, probably. You know, we did our obligatory retracking binaural. I think Devo episode for Patreon, and I think I talked about it. Like the production of it too, especially you mentioned Breakerfall, like. Yes, Breaker Falls like a classic, you know, hail hail style, animal style, you know, whatever kind of fast paced Pearl Jam song. But the production on it is so weird that I think it kind of turned a lot of people off. But if this had been like a Brendan O'Brien record, and if you had had some of the songs, you know, like a Sad and some of the other stuff that we've that people know that from the original track list, it could have been different. But they chose not to do it that way. This is what they wanted, so this is what we've got. I'm still on record saying that if Sad was actually on this album, which Breaker Fall into Sad is an amazing transition. I've placed it on my own playlist that way just so I can feel that. If Sad was on that record, it would be one of their most popular post-90s songs. Hands down. 
Hands yeah, down. I could see that. Sure. And look, maybe it's because I'm I'm fishing for it. Maybe it's because it's the one I'm most excited to see. And who knows if 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 it'll pop up this tour or not. Maybe maybe it already has. But I, it's just it's a it's a special one that really kind of got left off the, the chopping block on this, unfortunately. Anyway, though, there's a lot of stuff here that is very good and didn't get left off the chopping block. So I think, why don't we just jump right in and get to it? This this is the Mount Baker Theater in Bellingham, Washington. Not really close to Seattle. I think it's north of Seattle. And I believe there were about 1,500 tickets sold to this. So not much. You're not talking about a big-time Pearl Jam crowd. It's not bigger than Benaroya, but it's in the same vein of more intimacy, in a way. Right. So when you hear the crowd on the recording, you don't hear like this huge, enormous roar from a crowd that you would at any normal arena. And it, it's just interesting to see how they all react to everything. And it seems like everybody in that crowd is pretty up for it. So let's dig right in. The first one that they're going to get into is the most common opener from the binaural record and the binaural tour. And that would be of the girl. being debuted live and it ended up being played overall at this point that we record this 49 times just shy of 50 which feels like it's it's very short but remember after this record they didn't consistently play a lot of stuff from the record it kind of got left off so especially after the riot act tour this was sort of seen as as old hat but uh look i i think that mccready you know just getting the show started and getting McCready out in the open. And, and you have to think that anybody that was at the show that didn't get a leak, did, did, did you get a leak? Was there a leak for this? Do you remember? There had to have been, right? Um, I don't think so, but like I wasn't as dialed in as I was later on at this point. Okay. Yeah, I, I would I would guess that there would have been some kind of leak. I know Yield was leaked, so. But most of the people in this crowd seemed like they were responding to these songs as if they were hearing it for the first time and you have to think like small venue you kind of open up the gates for McCready to do those solos and it kind of feels like I said intimate and it feels like you know it kind of has a smaller wall to sort of reverberate off of and you know they're not going to be bombastic solos by any means he's going most of his stuff is going to be on a very bluesy vibe at this show 
but I thought it sounded pretty good. And then it, at the end, you kind of the band is like, this is the first time that it's being played, but they sort of don't know how to end it and just kind of fade out on it, which is very much like the record. And it's I think this one can sometimes nowadays if they bring it up afterwards kind of have the sort of abrupt ending so this was interesting they decided to to close like this yeah this is good i like too like the very beginning it has kind of an awkward kind of funky start and i think that it almost feels like you're in like a practice space with them and they're like all right of the girl go and they're kind of like you're hearing them kind of figure it out in real time like Yes, of course, they've, like, rehearsed it and they're ready, but it's it's different the first time you get on a real stage and, like, you hear Mike kind of just feeling it out. It's loose. It's like, how is this really going to work together? Because, like, you know, you always get that kind of awkwardness with the, with the new songs. Some of them have that. Some of them, especially with the ones that aren't the rockers, the debuts are always kind of like, okay, we'll, we'll feel this out and see how it goes. But the way of the girl is, especially, I thought it had a really interesting start to the show it really would have been interesting to see them kind of where i get the feeling like where they could kind of look at each other like everyone's looking at mike or everyone's looking at matt like and we're gonna go but they get it figured out it turns into a really good version and they liked it enough here that they would continue opening with it for most of the rest of the tour now we go into grievance and grievance had been played live like we mentioned at the letterman performance and the first thing i'm thinking usually i'm i'm like all drums all drums in the beginning but the first thing i'm thinking with this is that really early those guitars are so heavy they're just so heavy and gritty on this so much power that feels like it's coming from both ed and stone and look let's not put matt on the the back burner here because he has some big moments in this too his snare is snapping on this song this is making you take notice like this here obviously in the number two hole it would be the the second or third song played almost every night on this tour and you can see that they at this point were saying all right is this a sweet spot for it and they must have felt something from this and they were like okay let's continue on with this because this is working for us because like you know they had done hail hail and that was amazing and then you got wish list on letterman in 98 just kind of a little more relaxed you're like okay what new song are they going to do and they come out with this like blistering fast rock song like oh hell yeah this is going to be good so grievance was the one that i really liked early on so yeah really good hearing like yeah you mentioned the guitar tones it's the three guitar attack here early on and yeah like i said stone and ed together you can tell like you know ed's guitars right up front and 
sounds very, very good. Yeah, the, the three of them together are working really well. And like 2000 was the year that, you know, Mike started experimenting with the pedals, you know, and we'll, yep. some kind of like sounds and stuff that we'll get to in a couple of songs. But they really meshed their guitar tones well on this. Mike is also playing the V-neck guitar. That's kind of the debut of that, if you remember mm-hmm. that. Yep, yep. All right, the next debut is Break or Fall. They're going to run through this. It's going to be seven binaural songs in a row, which is not exactly what they did at Catawissa. I think they had, like, obviously released open that show, but Mm -hmm. it was mostly binaural at the top, and I don't think they really did that with any other show. But look, they're, again, showcasing a lot of these songs, and Break or Fall here feels, to me, if I were in that audience and didn't know the record at all, I probably would have said that Break or Fall is the one from hearing this performance. Jeff is just so prominent in this. The bass is just flying up off the handle. And yeah, you can feel that they're they're tight and, and Jeff has another run near the end that kind of bridges the gap between where the drums and, and guitars sort of separate a little bit. Almost like that breakdown into the ending part. It gets loud. Mike is doing some screeching on the guitars that brings a lot to it. This is a powerful performance and we've gotten good performances of breaker fall before but i think this is meant to sort of set the indicator for the song that this one is going to be one that we're gonna we're gonna play fast that is going to whip you into shape at these shows this is the very fast version it gets a big crowd surge too the first time you really hear anything from this crowd and i think that's due to you know like i said these people haven't heard this song yet but they're just reacting to the energy of it and the impact of it live. And yeah, you get, it's it's a nice thing. Grievance into Break or Fall again. Yeah, those two back to back is like getting punched in the face. So yeah, I like it, you know, three songs in and there hadn't been a bad one yet. I think we'll kind of stay on that trajectory yep. here because yep. we're getting into nothing as it seems. And for anybody that didn't know, nothing as it seems was played at the bridge school show in 1999. Obviously it's acoustic, but now fully formed it's electric. And, and look, I think when the single comes out, I think there are people that are digging for bootlegs or some people that actually went to the benefit at shoreline listen to that and they're like, okay, if this is coming off the new record, I'll get myself familiarized. But then when you hear the studio recording of it, it's like, okay, I wasn't really expecting that. 
because Mike wasn't necessarily going off in that bridge school version, if, if right. <laughs> believe right. it or not, right? But I think, you know, he's creating a wheelhouse with it. And while I don't think this is at all Mike's best and most powerful kind of performance of nothing as it seems, I think that it would quickly ease into some of the versions that would just be loud, that would be thunderous. And I mentioned before, I think Of The Girl was pretty good for sort of a a smaller venue like this. Nothing as it seems to me needs to be in like a massive place. So that just (laughs) so Mike's guitar can soar outdoors or in a big arena spot like that's where the song really starts to pick up and you really hear the power from what Mike is doing in a small place I don't think you can project that as much Yeah, maybe that's why, you know, it doesn't come across on the recording as being, like, big and impactful like some of the later ones do. But still, like, this crowd, you know, even if they, like I said, even if they heard the Bridge School one, they didn't know what was coming. And, you know, the record wasn't out yet. So this is the first time people are getting exposed to this song and all of its, like, electric glory. So, you know, as much as there was a big, you know, crowd reaction to Breakerfall, it's the opposite on Nothing As It Seems from what I could tell. Like, it was a lot of quiet, a lot of people probably, I'm guessing, in awe, just watching him going like, okay, that's what he's doing now, okay. Because think about Yield, you know, Mike wasn't doing a lot of solos on Yield. That was a lot of Stone stuff. Right. So he hadn't really had anything, you know, since No Code, and there wasn't even a lot on that. So this is kind of his like re-emergence, his re-coming out party. It's like, I'm going to be a force to be reckoned with at these shows. And yeah, it would have been amazing to be standing there in front of them, like just watching this for the first time. Just incredible. They took through this well. And of course, hearing these songs for the first time is, is going to stick with people. So, all right. I'm very excited to get into God's Dice because I, I sort of always say with God's Dice that it comes and goes really, really fast. And it takes a second to realize what you're digesting in, and you sort of forget some of the moving pieces. And you kind of forget that this song could have all those great punk Pearl Jam song aspects. I love this version, and it might be my favorite that I've ever heard. It's explosive. Mm. It's explosive right from the start. 
It's another one. Matt's speed is just on full display. The little fills that he's thrown in, it feels like he's really... The whole thing about Dance and the Clairvoyance being on the drum machine and him imitating the drum machine, it, it feels like he has some fills here that could have been done on a drum machine and he could have been doing the same thing. That's how impressive they are. We've said it before, 2000 is probably the best era for Cameron because it was really before songs started to kind of change direction a little bit. They were still bringing a lot of power. Ed's voice was still in sort of a fierce mode. And then 2003, the whole band kind of eased up a little bit, especially on songs from later records. To me, like, you know, really energetic. Ed's vocals toward the end, excellent. And they were just on top of this performance. talking about a really small crowd you know we know that ed loves these small club shows i think he always kind of goes a little harder on those to kind of make an impact yeah there's a growl at the beginning of god's dice that's just incredible made the song for me i think we can move on to the next live debut and that would be the second single off this record and that's light years another one that maybe it doesn't fit like the obvious criteria for a Pearl Jam song. Nevertheless, it's very, very good. Because that, that's the thing that intrigued me the most, because it felt like there was kind of an extended intro, and it seemed like the beginning, instead of building that little bouncy riff in the beginning, it, it felt like this was kind of noodled, and then evolved into what the song actually is, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it felt a little fast to me. Like I think Light Years is best when it has that... 
you feel that pounding rhythm that like has that really good pace to it. And like I said, I think the guitar stuff at the beginning, I think it's similar to Of The Girl and that they were just kind of feeling it out and like, I don't think they were 100% comfortable with it yet because it, it is a little bit more of an intricate beginning. You know, it's not like one, two, three, four, go, like a God's Dice or a Grievance or something. So it's a little more delicate. And so I think it was just um, maybe a little uncertain about how to proceed. But, but you know, they get there. Still, still very good. One of my favorite songs, but just felt a little bit rushed maybe coming off of God's Dice. And that was still a little, little amped up. But the first of many good versions. Yeah, I sensed that there was hesitation in this version too, but I also kind of sensed within Ed's voice that I don't know if he didn't quite want to share the full passion with the song yet, or I think it just sort of is, is another one from the set that needed to evolve and become what it would become later on in this tour. And like you said, it was played a little fast, if you sort of set the tone for the song in the beginning, then you kind of have to keep that up and you can't really change tempo mid-song sort of deal. So it is off a little bit on that aspect. But look, there's the chorus melody is beautiful. It weaves in and out and just has that special light years bounce. And Ed's voice is very good. Of course, you kind of notice in other versions, again, like he can end up being more passionate. And I wonder if for a crowd like this and just a a showcase like this if he's holding back on that a little bit until he's getting to sort of the mindset where he's like okay this is a major moment for for this and then really breaking out what would be more powerful performances but yeah it's the germ it's the germ all these songs are really the germ of the beginning and and interesting to see and and of course light years would end up being one of the most powerful songs from this record from that point on to to even years later where i think people uh, have attached to it more on the back end than they did on the front end right after light years and thanks mount baker and says what a fucking dump this is the nicest practice space we've ever had well tell us how you really feel ed it's a nice place he's just fucking with them yeah right anyway now we're hitting you with the seventh binaural song to start the show and and the last for a little while we're gonna go back to it at near the end of the set and we're gonna get three more but thin air is the next one and just like nothing as it seems this had a bridge school performance in 1999 as well and it seems like the crowd is really into it and and it feels like maybe that towards the end like ed feels like he can elevate this the band sort of feels like they get ramped up a little bit at the end and i think that you know the crowd at this point are just kind of reacting to sort of the bits and pieces that they hear and after every little thing they're like okay that was good that was good sort of after the song after the full intake but for some reason thin air like at that moment where they're in that little dead spot the crowd just erupts There's a light when my baby's in my arms And I know she's reached my heart in being They're telling them, like, we really appreciate this. We appreciate all the songs from before. 
and this one is just the icing on the cake and and it, it feels after that they were able to kind of take that and say all right well if you like that then you're gonna really like what we're about to do on it yeah and this is interesting too you know i noticed something about this and you know you, you kind of compared it to the show box at the beginning but at that show if you remember they started off with the first four songs of of no code in order but they they don't do that here we're all over the place it is a lot of the early part of the record you're not getting a sleight of hand or parting ways anything like that but you know they didn't come out with break or fall first they came out without the girl first that's the side b track and i wonder what the thinking was behind breaking them up like this because you come out without the girl then you get two fast ones then nothing as it seems then another fast one then you're going with two more like mid-tempo ones and you're ending with like the happiest one, like the poppiest one, the ballad almost. I wonder, you know, what the thinking was behind that and why they didn't come out and just go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It's a little little strange. I, it, it would have would have thrown me a little bit like after God's Dice to go back and be like, oh, this is going to be a weird record. You want a theory on that? Do you want me to try to put together a theory? Because I'll I'll just bark off of what I thought about the Toronto set, and I thought that live starting Breaker Fall, God's Dice Evacuation, and onward, even much more so than the record. I didn't think that that set gelled that well to play all of those songs kind of in a row as as the album would be i felt like they all kind of were scattered all over the place and granted a lot of those songs at that time they don't get played you don't play rival every show you don't play evacuation every show they're they're not going to know those ones as much as they're going to know like light years and nothing as it seems but i think that maybe this album in full they knew that there was a struggle putting the track listing together and whether or not they just kind of gave up on it and said, all right, if this is going to be the thing that we all agree on, then we're just going to throw it out. It's tough for me to think that they would just kind of give up like that, but I think they might've realized that doing it in that aspect wouldn't be the best for a live situation and i don't disagree with that if that was the case and they could have like rehearsed it or something you know in, in rehearsal oh, probably yeah. tour, like and maybe i'd realize like hey this doesn't flow as well as as we thought it would so mix it up yeah it could be so all right ed says those are all new songs and obviously now we can kind of get into some standard classics of theirs we're gonna get do the evolution we're gonna get black we're gonna get red mosquito and then after that we're gonna get daughter so you know, Red Mosquito, feeling like it's pretty rare at the time, I think Red Mosquito was being played for the 28th time, coming four years off of that album being out. That doesn't seem very much at all, especially it being at 90 now. And of course, though, like Evolution, Black, Daughter are going to be the standard bearers of this. Evolution is just awesome. I thought that this was a really just a big energy burst and the first time that the crowd is like hearing something super familiar, something that they've danced to before, something that they've been excited about before, instead of songs that they're just sort of dipping their feet into. So when Evolution hits, there feels like a a change of momentum in the night.
Yes, Cameron especially. I thought, you know, you talked about some of the fills he was doing earlier on. I think there's two or three machine gun drum fills into the evolution that we had not heard before. And that made me sit up and take notice of this. Like, wow, that guy is, is on a different level. Yet, again, this is a small club warm-up show. You're not going to get the big hits. You're not getting a live. You're not getting even flow. You're not getting Jeremy, things like that. So this is like you sat through the new songs, hear something you know, and then they'll get back into the deep cuts a little bit later. But yeah, do the evolution perfect. I, I thought it was easily one of the highlights from the show. I'm going to have to defer to Stone on this version too, because in that second solo, if it sounded like, and this is a very binaural era type thing, but it sounded like his guitar was firing lasers almost, like that just wow, that yeah. sound coming out of it, just like pew, pew, pew. Like it was very, very good, just very interesting. And I wonder again if they took a bunch of these songs that they had played, you know, throughout the years, however many times, and said, all right, let's see what we can do a little bit differently with them moving forward. And it feels like Evolution might have been part of that. Black 2, you know, Black 2, I think that it, I don't want to say fell off the radar a little bit, 1995 through 1998 with Jack. I think later versions of Black in 1998 really start to pick up a little bit and kind of starts to become this song with an extended ending and, and where the solo is the backbone of it. And I think they're kind of continuing that here, and that's sort of where it would land for 2000. However, first night playing a full set in about two years, Ed seems to have forgotten the lyrics and kind of does this, <laughs> la, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, so that. That was good. crowd has a fun moment with that, and then Ed gets back in, and when he sings one of the lyrics right, he's like, is that right? Is that right? So we get a fun moment. And, you know, the solo was okay. I think Matt seemed a little off. It seemed like he was doing something that didn't necessarily gel with what McCready or the rhythm section was doing. But Mike is kind of saving this in this one. I'm not saying that. I, I think they were just both trying to do something a little bit different and didn't really connect until sort of the end where it was kind of taken down. I always called this the smooth, clean landing on this song. So... I don't think that Black was meant to be the showstopper at this. Obviously, it being number nine in the set doesn't mean that it's going to be that kind of song, but it sort of lost a little bit of luster being there, I suppose. And it is the only 10 song of the night. Like, yeah, yeah, this is not the reason that they're here to play Black and to play songs from 10. So it did feel like there was a little bit of like, let's hit these ones that people know and then get back into the new ones and the, the ones that we really want to play. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because right after this, Stone says, we fucked up the set list. And Ed says, I think you're allowed to fuck up the set list. It's the songs that you can't fuck up. And I think that's a little bit of tongue in cheek of, of what he did earlier in the song. But yeah, I, I wonder if black was supposed to be held because it feels like the natural transition is evolution into red mosquito and then kind of take it down with black and the daughter that feels maybe. a little bit more natural, but maybe, you know, I, I, it, it still, it, it's doesn't make too much of a difference, but red mosquito and daughter here kind of middle of the pack of these. And I thought mosquito was an extremely tight version with, Mike's guitar obviously sounding very, very good. The drums are popping. The melody is very, very good towards the end. And, of course, Ed is, is giving a little credit to McCready. 
And I thought that Daughter was very good in this too. The thing about Daughter that I like the most when they get it right is when it feels purposeful, where it feels like they have an identity with the song. And I felt like this one had a little bit of an edge, a little bit of darkness to it. Yeah, and that's kind of the era too. You know, if Daughter had been on Binaural, it would be that kind of a song. It would have a little bit more of this sure. feel to it. Yeah. I always like when they do the rocket from the crypt on a rope, and you get a little bit of that here before they go into the Tom Waits hold on, not the Pearl Jam hold on. <laughs> right. Uh, tag, that could confuse is, uh, a lot of a, a lot of people if you're looking at the set list on live yes. footsteps. Yes. You're getting a new tag here in this kind of unique situation, this unique setting for them. So it feels right that he would go to something, you know, this this isn't the right time for a WMA or another brick in the wall or something like that. So it needed something a little more obscure and a little more esoteric for people to go in and figure out and to attach to this moment. Uh, yeah, good version. Yeah, I think kind of on top of that, when you think of the daughter tags from 2000, they were all like this. You know, you think of like The Wrong Child, the R.E.M. song, and you think of some of the other stuff that they were doing either like one or two nights and, and that would be it like they they weren't playing quote yeah. unquote the hits and, and it's okay Nine, it was, very, was very, like that too yeah mm-hmm. it's okay it was very very early on where it's debuting at this time and look it would get very popular very quick and very important very quick but it's also the standards are another brick in the wall and wma i think you do get less of that in this era which is yes. honestly change it up always for changing sure. it up sure. and hold on like hold on feels like it's extended pretty long you know it, oh yeah it it's, a, it's a long tag yeah mm-hmm. pretty good crowd reaction and no in my tree tag i can say that because we've seen that show <laughs> we've seen that show we know what happens but hell maybe we get a better tag on it from one of the next shows who the hell knows well by the time this comes out we will know so anyway we can talk about that later after daughter Ed says, it seems like there have been fairly quiet songs in a room like this. It sounds great up here, which is weird. Does it sound good out there? And then raises a toast to Mount Baker Theater. And that is going to get you into Faithful. I think the interesting thing on Faithful is that Ed is doing some pronoun changes in this from man upstairs to woman upstairs. And then at the end, what's a human to do instead of what's a boy to do, which is very interesting. And and there's a, a few really good crowd surges in the song too when they kind of break apart from that big solo section and sort of come right into the end the way that they perfectly can kind of let you down and I don't mean let you down in in a bad way I mean like right after they finish something big and you sort of get a moment to react to it and the crowd definitely does its role here and it sounds very very good from that aspect yeah, definitely an underrated song coming off a of yield. But the cool thing I noticed too that pronoun change you mentioned, it doesn't sound like he's premeditated that. Like he's going for it. He almost says the first syllable of man. He he changed that on the fly, like in that split second, he decided to change it to woman. Like you can hear him decide to switch it in that moment. So I thought that was very cool. I wonder what prompted that. Yeah, that's not the first time he's done that, but it is interesting when it does happen because it it means that something is on his mind, something specific, and he's never going to share that unless it's being teed up within the story. But yeah, I think it's absolutely worth mentioning when, when it does happen like that. All right, let's talk about the only song off of this show that is not on the vinyl. 
it is literally the rarest song <laughs> played from this night that they didn't include on the live vinyl of this show. Like what, yeah. what the hell, you know? And from yeah. what I had talked to, I believe Patrick about when sort of talking about the show with, with him and Brian was that I guess they had a tape issue during dead man. And that led to, not having it for this. I, I just thought that it's not like an album cut. So I wonder if it's one that they don't anymore think very highly of. And they're just like, if we need a cut for time, just cut it, which they didn't because I, I look at all the sides and I look at how much time was on each side of the record. And most of it was in between like 15 and 18 minutes. So you have like yeah. four or five more minutes to spare on that. So they could have fitted it if they wanted to, but my my guess is I'm just going to have to take it as face value here that they just didn't have a clean version of this, unfortunately. But we do have a version, and we have to play it because it's the third time they've ever done it. The first time, I believe, was in a preset at San Jose in 1995, and then they did it in Australia in 98, and it's really just Ed. It's really Ed. It's not Bay. But, you know, we don't get to talk about it a lot. So I think that we can kind of dig in and, and really get into some of the things that makes the song very, very cool. one of the things that I didn't realize is that the guitar just has so much distortion and power on it for being the only aspect musically of this song that's happening. And it feels like it's bigger than just being a part of Ed's hands, which at the time, Ed's not doing a lot of stuff still solo yet. We'll talk about something a little later where it would be kind of the, the solo act for this record, but Ed is still not there within his history of playing solo stuff. He's not there yet. So playing something like this, he's able to really build a mood to it. That just sounds very much like what we were talking about with daughter, like very much of its era. And it makes you kind of stop in your tracks and pay attention a little bit. A little mystery, a little despair. I really, really like this. This is not just Ed solo. This has Jeff on the, stand-up bass with a bow as well Gosh. here a little bit of his like atmospheric stuff but yeah the guitar 
it's electric guitar, which is cool. You know, a lot of those presets and everything, you'll get Dead Man acoustic, but this is Dead Man electric, you know, like the recording. It's got that kind of footsteps guitar to it, that really kind of spacey and moody guitar sound. I, I love this as well. And there's a moment too near the end where his voice kind of relaxes and goes into more of a kind of open feel to it. And again, that's another moment from the show that made me just, whoa, like that's new and different. Like I never heard that before. And it just completely changes the vibe of the song halfway through. I thought it was excellent. Yeah, it's too bad this isn't on there because I love this song. I think they were probably lucky to have gotten it 21 times, but oh, I wish they would have played it a lot more. I, I wish it would come back. We haven't heard it since 2007, you know, and unless they played it the last three, we haven't heard it. So we don't know when we'll talk about Dead Man again, unfortunately, but when it, whenever it does come up, we have to kind of give it its time because it's always great to really kind of get those rare tracks and, and dissect them because who knows, it might be a couple of years, might be a couple of months, who who knows, it, it could be a long time, it could be no time at all, but we don't want to take that chance of not giving it its due because it, it, it absolutely deserves it. The song appreciation there. We haven't done that in a while. Song appreciation. Absolutely. Yes. That was a 2021 thing, but we can bring it back for 2022. I know we're, we're a quarter of the way through the year, but I don't have a problem with that. Hell, we can do whatever we want. MFC is gonna come after dead man. And that's going to go into evacuation, which we can talk about in a second. And then, Obviously, we're going to have to give Immortality its due because it's Immortality and it deserves its own little spot. But yeah, MFC, what did you think of the intro on it? Because it sort of felt a little kind of like, are we going to do Untitled or are we not? But also, the way that they were doing it didn't even remind me of Untitled. It reminded me more of Green Disease in a way. Oh. I thought it was maybe just something where they... You know, this is more of a deep cut, and they hadn't played it in a couple of years, and it was like another one where they're like, okay, we're in this small club where in front of not a lot of people. It's okay if we kind of fuck around and try to figure this out. So it just felt like they were kind of like, almost like a practice, like they were just kind of like feeling their way around the beginning of it. Yeah, and honestly, the song, we talk about this, it feels like every time we've hit it, we've hit this a lot lately. When you talk about a lot of 1998 versions, that's what's going to happen, but quick. 
every version seems like it lasts for almost as long as Luke can last for. It just comes and goes. And at the end, again, you just want some more extension on that. You want them to, to build. You want them to kind of go off, like keep driving the car, keep going here. But it, it feels like after, I guess, the album's sort of spot there, they kind of just put the car in park and get out and move into the evacuation unit, I suppose. Well, yeah, I mean, you've got to mention this. I'm shocked you didn't mention it. There's no car noises in this one. There's none of the... See, that's the thing. That's the thing. It doesn't... It's so quick that I couldn't even process that. I just assumed, okay, they were there, and I just missed it on this one. Nope, not there. Crazy. Crazy, everybody. The the joke does not last in this episode. And honestly, we did it last week, and I don't, don't think I actually mentioned it last week. So screwing up on that a lot but however the next time it shows up i will give it its due i will make it a big thing because it it is a thing and if you don't know why if you don't know about it then uh we'll share with you the next time but this time obviously we missed the boat on it and maybe maybe the car sounds maybe the knowing was sort of left for like is this not a 2000 thing i don't know that's sort of that's an odd thing to say but because there's nothing there we'll just move on from it evacuation is getting debuted it's the first binaural one since thin air a little bit earlier in the set and ed exclaims before the song starts that matt wrote this one the guitars on the intro are a little light and kind of once it digs into the second chorus it kind of fills out a little bit and this is one that didn't quite attach to the band. It didn't quite attach to the live stage. And we get to kind of know the reason why. And I always just thought that it was the three bridges aspect of it, that there was just too many moving pieces in the song for the band to not remain confident about it. But after the song ends, it does lose some steam in the last little part. And right afterwards he said this is a great song but it's a bitch to sing and i think there you have it if you wanted to know why evacuation has sort of been left out of the fold it's because of ed
event when they make it through the song all the way. I think there was one that I always go back to in 2008 where they had to just give up halfway through because they just couldn't get through it. It was like there um, are multiple abortions on this. Yeah, yeah, but they get through it here, so A+. plus, Fantastic. Nice job, guys. All right, we're about to get into Immortality, and of course, Ed mentioning It's a Bitch to Sing That Song, then kind of comments on the venue. It feels like a house of jazz. Not to make a big deal of it, but want to thank Matt Cameron for writing songs that and playing tonight, and I think it's kind of gesturing to the crowd, playing for you. I would be fine if you stopped asking me how I am. I'm doing horribly. I'm in pain. We'd ask you how you're doing, but it's such a cliche. So glad they left off Dead Man for all of this, you guys. This 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 did not happen as quickly as I recited it. This was like three minutes or so, almost. They left Dead Man off for this, and I and get I get it that it was probably something wrong with the track, and that's why they didn't throw it off. But you get this instead of Dead Man, so whatever it's not like we can change it now and we do have a version of it so we can't be that kind of jaded but immortality is going to finish up the main set and it feels like immortality is always the club song like they are going to bring it back at a club crocodile cafe in 98 they brought it back and the the showbox theater show of course piss bottle men and also closing the set like this some of those shows that had prominent spots i think it did close one of the sets for the piss bottle men show and there are two aspects of course that always are the most important about the song and one of them is how the solo builds and the other is going to be how the ending builds and one i thought was kind of expected and one was not can you guess which was which oh i'm gonna say the ending was not because it goes off meaning immortality then the set you know you're gonna get something special that's correct by the way i think that why that's correct is that the way that it started off it kind of sounded like all right maybe this is sort of more of an easy going one maybe they're just gonna finish the set kind of at a like a smoother point and then the timid guitars and bass sort of start to turn matt kind of gets a little bit like pounding a little harder and you don't know like okay is is he just kind of setting up just to kind of take it down a little bit no he's getting progressively faster as this goes on guitars are progressively getting louder screechier matt hits harder and harder and it's extremely satisfying way to end this set and it's an extremely satisfying ending of this song compared to all the amazing endings that the song could have
that almost takes you back to like 95 and the Jack era. Yeah, this is, this is up there. It's special. Very, very good. All right. We are at the Encore, so let's pause for station identification, talk about some of the things we got going on. And, of course, it's tour time. And, look, we've been every single morning, and we've been doing a really good job with this, putting out the Concertpedia recap of the show every single morning. We have been staying up. On the West Coast time, like it's what these shows are starting at 1145 East Coast time. So we're staying up. We're putting the work into it as as is Dave from Live Footsteps. And we want to have something cohesive. And, and one of the best compliments that we've gotten so far from doing all this is that there are some people that are trying to kind of get the gist of what's happening in the set. You know, and and it's hard to on social media when you have people that were like, well, I was there and this happened and I like this. You don't really get the sense of the story. And it's really hard to put together like the full story with quotes and things like that, especially if you don't have a very solid live stream, which it it was kind of in and out a little bit at times, but thankfully we had some pretty good, uh, a shout out to, to Aaron Redman, who was pretty great at giving us some quotes verbatim that that were just awesome and then of course after that sort of finding more stuff that that happened to be on youtube but yeah having all that is really important and helps tell the story of the night and gets it out instantaneously and that's been our goal with this since the beginning and it feels like it's now really developing into something very very good yeah, like I said, you know, last week I'm excited to get these in real time and and get them out there so people can kind of relive the show and like kind of experience it in a different way. Especially, you know, for San Diego, like you mentioned, we didn't have a full live stream going. So yeah, it's very exciting. That's one of the things I'm looking forward to most this year. And we have a lot of them to do, so it's a lot of good work that we're going to be sharing with everybody. So please, if you haven't bookmarked live on fourlegs.com, please do yourself a favor and do that because it seems like every single day we have something new for you guys, whether it's a, a fantasy league update, whether it's a series called All the Memories Going Around, which will talk about some of the memories of show locations that they're going to, like Oakland and Vegas that'll be coming up. And Phoenix had had just happened, so a lot of stuff, and we're really trying to build the hype for the tour and make you guys feel like this is special. Because, guess what? It is. Your fandom is special. And it's not just special because we're also sharing the same moment with you, but it's special because you have something so unique to yourself that makes you happy. Keep the interest up. Keep the desire for everything this band is doing is up because it's it's a wonderful thing to focus on. It's a wonderful thing to pay attention to. And when you get so much positivity radiating at this stage of where we are right now, where everybody wants to be a part of it, yeah, this is paradise, you guys. We haven't gotten this in a very, very long time. So one of our favorite things. And, and look, Sacramento, Vegas, coming very, very soon. So if you're going, shoot me an email, live on fourlegspodcast at gmail.com, and we'll make sure that we get to see each other and we get to hang out. Documentary, we're going to be filming. Definitely want you guys to be a part of that. So don't be shy. Hang out with us. Have a good time. That's what it's all about. 
All right, talk a little bit about Patreon. As we mentioned earlier in the episode, all of the recaps for the shows will be Patreon exclusives and have been Patreon exclusives. And of course, there's so much more over there as well from Song Evolutions, where we go through a whole entire song's live trajectory and sort of break it down and, and see how things changed and talk about some of the great performances. A lot of those episodes are up there, and we've talked about shows like the Munich Germany show from 1992, where they did 10 in full, and CBGB's from 1991, all of that kind of stuff is up there. Late show, we've been doing some late night stuff recently as well, so if that's stuff that you're all interested in, it's countless. If you join now, you might have to take some time away from listening to the regular platform stuff just to get all of that in and enjoy it. But we don't want to take anything away from what we're doing over here as well. But look, stuff is good over there. And if you do want to join, it's patreon.com slash live on four legs. And there are three tiers you can join up to the most recommended one. I, look, it's not about the money. It's about getting you guys the content. It's about getting you guys in and celebrating this and getting you guys to maybe learn something that you've never known before. That's pretty important to us to kind of help that aspect. And I think it helps a lot of the people that have listened in sort of enjoy this more. And that's something that we we strive for and, and want to continue doing. So the, the, the dollar bonus tier, look, you can join for either a dollar a month or $10 for the whole entire year. You'd be saving $2. All you got to do, $10 for the whole year. Your credit card doesn't get charged monthly, so you don't have to worry about, oh, card funds or my card getting expired or something like that. Just a one-time $10 a year deal. Or even if you want to join the $5 gigaleg tier, the $10 horizon leg tier, both of those tiers are going to get you episode requests on the show where we're going to cover something we've never covered before that is going to be your request specifically and if you're a horizon leg member you are going to get a profile episode on your fandom and we do have a new patron this week thank you to deidra perkins thank you so much for joining patreon and hopefully you're getting to enjoy all of the reaction episodes that we're putting out now so very important thank you very much for joining and again to all the new patrons too we're starting to reach out to more people and and see you know like want to get to learn a little bit about you guys and want to get to see what shows you're going to and see if we can all meet up so if you haven't heard from us stay tuned we're trying to get to everybody so hope to hear from you guys soon too remember you can always get in touch with us let us know what's going on with you and what you guys want to hear us do that's important to us so yeah all right back to the rock this encore is going to open up with corduroy this is a very interesting version of Corduroy, and it starts out pretty standard, energetic, fast-paced, like very, very good Corduroy. Of course, the, the standard of Corduroy is always going to be maybe better than the standard for almost any other song. However, when you get into where that bridge kind of bridges that last to be tried nor be a judge like that that section there and then going into sort of the ending solo usually you, you kind of rack back to the beginning that little pace the doom 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 you kind of have that again which is sort of your moment where the crowd gets to clap a little bit in this they kind of get to it a little bit late and it's kind of shortened a little bit which is very interesting it sort of melds in with the solo, and while it's kind of like out of sync at first, 
the guitars are very interesting sound. They have like this little funky kind of wah-wah to it when it's doing that part. of other versions of Corduroy from 2000. They were starting to really mess with the chorus a little bit. I believe there was a show we did in Montreal 2000 where I believe my take on it was there was an even flow solo in Corduroy. So they were starting to tinker around on it a little bit. Yeah, there's a killer solo section on this. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll talk about the surge when you feel that like everyone in the band is pushing and like you know, the whole becomes greater than the sum of the parts. And this is one of those versions, like, it really elevates for that last section. It gets to something, I mean, again, probably some of that influence of immortality rubbing off. But, yeah, very, very good ending to this corduroy. Similar to the one we got in, in San Diego last week. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, right. Uh, they were just kind of experimenting a little bit, trying something yeah. different. But, yeah, you're right. Like, 2000 is the era for some of these songs, as you mentioned before, Immortality, Corduroy, Daughter a little bit to kind of get a different sort of side, a little different edge to it. And then after that, it kind of becomes stabilized as the arena rock song that you know and appreciate of it today. So, And that all kind of evolves within time. It all evolves within sort of knowing what your crowd is going to do with it and seeing the trends with that. So yeah, you don't get this that much very often, but it's a very cool version. Very cool, very different. Wishlist is going to come up next. It's a good version of Wishlist. Ed sort of laughs something off very early on and pretty standard here i I, you kind of think for a second that you know the the ebo that finishes off sounds pretty good and they sort of in the past would leave this open to have some sort of improv outro on this and this doesn't have any of that at all it just has the crowd just respecting and and enjoying what they just heard that's it this is not this is not really the right place for a big wishlist tag so yeah i get that after Wishlist, Ed addresses what this is, is a response to the massive response that Wishlist got. And he's like, thank you. It was all right. We're thinking about playing one more new song for you. And this one we think makes the whole record. So you don't have to buy it. You can tape it tonight and then go sell it or download it on Napster. And he kind of says Napster, like, (laughs) you know. Almost like how a boomer tries to take something that's hip and trendy. Like you kids and your Napster. Right. I think the the big thing that I always got on like adults for saying when I was a kid was they didn't know how to say Pokemon. 
they just said boogeyman and stuff like that. I'm like, you know how to say it. You just want to sound stupid so you sound better than the kids. We're, we're smarter than that. So I, I, I never got into the Pokemon. See, you said it. That's Pokemon. What? What? <laughs> oh, what? Sorry. What? I guess you're a boomer, John. You're no, a boomer. No, no, I missed it. You're ruining uh, the housing market. I, I barely scraped into Generation X, and I'll I'll gladly accept it. Uh, anyway, yeah, Napster feels like it was so, so long ago, and that's because it was. And even after 2000, it wasn't even the best place to download anything off of anymore, because, well, some guy named Lars ruined that all for everybody. I was a big SoulSeek fan. It, SoulSeek was the highlight for me of the file-sharing years. Yeah, I don't know when I used SoulSeek. It was very limited amount of time, but I was Kaza, mm-hmm. LimeWire. There was one called Morpheus that Morpheus, I think was oh, yeah. the replacement yeah. for a while, but they were all the same. They all had the same layout. I think it was just like when they couldn't handle the data anymore, they just sort of transferred it to another outlet that, that could think, for a limited time. I think SoulSeek is still around, too, and SoulSeek really? was the best because you could... You could search by user and you could go in and see everything that someone had. So I would search for stuff and then find people that had good stuff and then just download. I mean, I still have MP3s on my computer that I got from SoulSeek. That was the heyday for that for me. I still have MP3s on my computer that I got from AOL chat rooms. Yeah, sure. <laughs> the weird ways that we used to download shit and intake music at the time. Yeah, just, yeah. you do what you yeah. had to do. Different era now. But Ed says, of course, this is going to be the first time we play it, so it's not insignificant. However, it is insignificant. The drums are just powerful, of course, take, on this. Take your pick. This fucking, like, so good. There have been very good versions of Insignificance, but all around, just a stellar performance. Not a damn thing wrong with it. The... I thought it was very good, but I also thought that there was room for improvement based off of what we know from the song. And I think that, like, there was one part, of course, like the pause in the song, and I don't think, like, they got the timing right on that. I think it was just a little bit off. And when you get the timing right, and of course, what's going to happen during that is that the crowd isn't going to know what you're doing so they're not going to usually you get like a little bit of a, a of a cheer during that and like people kind of understand like oh cool all right this this is that but no they they, they were just like what did, what what's happening and it, it kind of felt a little bit off yeah. filter and awkward a little bit but you know i i thought the ending was good it, it didn't have that like massive massive drop it just needs that like big tense build to anticipation and I think that they were figuring it out and they had the right idea on it but it wasn't quite at its peak in this as you said it's a good version but I'm comparing it to what it would become at this point yeah I think 2003 is considered the best year for that but but here I think too it's you're getting it in a small club and I think the energy of it really shines through We've, we've talked about version of this in a small club before, too, that like it can really be powerful when it's in a place that's sort of intimate. We saw it with the, the Showbox 2002 show, so yep. yeah, it can be done, and, and that one sounded really good, but hey, first version of this, like of course, they're, they're going to progress on it and figure it out after a while, absolutely. 
There is an improv that happens before go, and I didn't really jot down all the lyrics. They seem like pretty developed lyrics to me. He's repeating like it's it's good. It's real, real good. Yeah. Seems kind of be like the hook of it. Can you see the snow today? Let's call work and leave anyway. Like it seems like it's got a positive aspect and, and five horizons called this like sort of close to a roadhouse blues by the doors Very sort bluesy. of vibe. Yeah, yeah I, I got that. I absolutely got that. And you know, it, it sounds pretty good. I don't think it's like my favorite sort of improv that they do, but nope. you know, for, for three minutes or so, like, okay, cool. They did a random improv at the end of the set. And evidently Mike just cracks up at the end. He can't, can't make it through. So it kind of falls apart. But hey, what good improv doesn't fall apart, sure. you know? Yep. It's real, real good. ending and ed is working with two years of being out of action essentially and there's some of course some lyric flubs in this you got to get the rust off and that's exactly what this kind of show is but however the song has moments where it could just skyrocket so much power mccready is loud this might be one of the loudest moments that you hear mccready in the show as good as the corduroy solo and some of the other ones were it's really electrifying at this and then cameron is is just giving this that ending massive feel too it's it's closing the set so you have to kind of pick it up and what they're going to come back with in the second encores is not going to be anywhere close to what they have done in the whole entire set but he really makes it feel massive he makes it feel like they're going out on a big moment and it does have a little bit of a descent into madness at the end before they walked off i thought that was cool kind of like what you get in deep yep that's your end of set as well some of the best versions of go are ones that that end a main set or in an encore yeah i love this as well
second encore we have two songs there's a little to say but we won't last too long on it but ed tees it up in the beginning and it's something like he's yelling at a guy i don't know what it took for you to get here tonight this doesn't happen that often in this kind of building but we appreciate the effort it took to get here i'm about to attempt to play one of the greatest songs written in the annals of rock and roll history and i'm gonna play it on this uh, yeah i'm seeing him sort of looking at that thing and sort of yeah. making a joke of it actually it's a shit song it's so small. Does it make me look taller? Actually, like the water on the road DVD cover, Ed looks massive in comparison to the youth <laughs> that he's holding on that. I, right, I, I, right. Do, I do remember that. Uh, now, if you could, I, want, I'll, I know you'll want to scream in the middle, but hold your applause until the end. I don't want to make any mistakes. Uh, we know what this is. It's soon forget, and it is the live debut. And he talks about mistakes. I really want to go back. And of course, this is like a two-minute song, so it won't be too tiresome to go back and do all this. But I want to go back. I want to see how many of the 55 performances that they've done of this where he gets the stiffening line Hmm. wrong, where he goes back to the pissing line. And it seems like every single time. And right from the first... The first take here, right from the first performance, he's like, shit, fix that. And it's right at the end where you're like, okay, he came so close without making a mistake. And and then that was it. That's one more time around. And there is not a sound. He's lying dead, clutching Benjamins. Never put the money down. He's pissing. Oh, no. He's stiffening. We're all whistling. A man will soon forget. The most fascinating thing about this song, when we've talked about it in recent weeks, is that the crowd goes ballistic for it. Every time he does this in 2000, it's like some exotic experience to see Ed with a ukulele. It was. It was. It's so normalized now. He has a full record and, and some of the, the end of the wild stuff and then sleeping by myself. Like those things are all based off the ukulele and, and it's it's very normalized now. But this is this is some kind of exotic experience for the crowd to see Ed play this small little Hawaiian instrument, I suppose. Yeah, it was something we hadn't seen before. I think a lot of that is due to the Who song Blue, Red and Gray. Yes. which was also, you know, the Pete Townsend uh, ukulele song. So I, that's probably directly taken from that. Definitely. Yeah. So look, you can blame the who for Ed's fascination with ukuleles, I suppose, which if you're going to blame, blame the anyone, who for a lot of things for right. Pearl Jam. Yeah, right. Right. It's not the worst thing in the world. Ed wants to do one more with the guys and says, thank you and good luck on the road out there. And the last song of the set is going to be led better. I think the, the ending to this, I think it had kind of a pretty ending, kind of a, like a, just a smooth kind of fitting ending. It's, it's not like when we get this in sets nowadays, we can kind of like wrap it into a whole entire section and say, it's like the end cap of this. It's the end cap of live and, and rocket in the free world or something. And in this, it's sort of at least able to just be led better. If you know what I mean? Yeah. We call it kind of a classic version. 
you know, and later on in 2003, you get the the Gulf War era of Yellow Ledbetter, but this feels like a pretty faithful classic version of it. Right, and you're not getting any, like, real specific tag. Of course, there's yeah, no, yeah. like, national anthem yet, and uh, we talked a couple weeks ago about Eddie Van Halen stuff, and there's none of that, but... No little wing, and yeah, yeah. Right, 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 yeah, I, I, but it, it's just interesting that you can kind of always tie this to the end of the set, and in this... You know, Soon Forget and Ledbetter were kind of packaged together a lot in 2000, but it never really became a bigger thing than that. Of course, Alive being out meant that Alive wouldn't be at the end of the set sort of deal, so different ways to skin a cat, I suppose, but it, it does make Ledbetter kind of feel like it could be more of a highlight than now, if you know what I mean. This isn't like a, a party version of it. It almost feels like the show should have been like in a different show but it is what it is by this point it's it's established as the closer so that's what you get right and we would love to see newer closers on the tour well let's see if it's already happened let's see if it'll happen again you, you got alive you got alive in san diego oh that was just special that was special you got you got the three of those back to back if that's your bread and butter for this tour sure. then sign me up baby i love it all right Let's do some top three. I don't remember, but I think you're going first in this one. I think so. It would be easy not to include any of the binaural stuff because a lot of that stuff is debuts. It's a lot of standard kind of faithful studio versions, but I will include nothing as it seems at number three, just for the effect and the impact of, like I talked about, hearing Mike play it electric for the first time. I think that makes it special. So that's my number three. Do the Evolution, number two, and Dead Man, number one. All right. I am going to go with God's Dice at number three. I think this might be the first time I ever put God's Dice in my top three. And I think it's just because you don't get to hear quite that energy from it. It it just felt like they were really excited to play this and they were really up on it. And I don't know why... It didn't continue that momentum as much, but it, it here it makes me think that this song could have had a better ride for sure. Number two is going to be Dead Man, and it's not just because we don't cover it a whole lot. It's because that this song created mood. It created sort of a, an element of mystery and despair, and I love the distortion on Ed's electric in this. That just sounded fantastic. And my number one is Breaker Fall. I thought that out of all of the debuts from the show, Breaker Fall was just the one that felt like it would be the highlight from Binaural just by listening to the show. And it, it just, yeah, it was just speedy and it, Jeff just sounded amazing in it. And yeah, I, I wish this sort of had some more backing behind it being the, the lead off of this album. But, you know, this, this era is hard to go back to, so it doesn't quite get tossed in the mix with that. All right, let's get to a rating here. Yeah, this one's tough because it is a vault show. Obviously, the band thinks very highly of it. A lot of deep cuts, but not a lot of big, you know, not a big crowd, so not a lot of big crowd moments. I think this one's solidly in the eight range. So I'm going to give this one an eight. Yeah, I, my rating is sort of, I guess, div- you know, just kind of giving it to history. And it is important because it is a showcase show, and, and most of their showcase shows have been important. 
But also, yeah, like it was missing something. It was missing like a major, major highlight. Like some of the binaural performance was very good. Some of the other stuff in here very good, but like there was no showstopper. There was no show stealer from this. Right. So right. I'm gonna actually go eight and a half and kind of take that half step by saying that it's more important to the history than to my personal take of it. So if it was just my personal take, I'd probably be at around in between a seven and a half and an eight. But I think that because this is sort of the debut of the binaural era and what you would expect from that whole entire year to come, it, it does deserve some recognition from that. So yeah, I'm fine. I'm giving it an eight and a half. All right. That means half of vault month is in the books. And next week, of course, we saved it for next week because next week the Vegas show is going to be happening, and that means we got to get to Aladdin Theater, guys. Ooh, this is going to be a real good show to get to, and it's one I don't have on vault. I wish I did, but I think out of all of these, I think this is probably the one that is remembered the most. This is probably, look, it, it got circulated as, as a bootleg, and we'll have our guys from Hallucinogenic Recipe drop a bite about that because this was one that was one of the more popular ones back in the day. And you get a Green River reunion and a little bit of Elvis. So what's there not to like? It's going to be very exciting. Also, debut of Tremor Christ. So look at all that. That's all great stuff Can't we'll wait. be talking about next week. Yeah. And again, next week will be Sacramento and Vegas. I will be at both those shows. Please seek me out. Come find me if you want to come and hang out, talk the band and, and enjoy, grab, grab a drink and all that. We're, you know, up for meeting everybody. There will be a lot of live on four legs kind of people there. And what I mean by people is just a bunch of our friends. So yeah, they'll all be there and we'll just be enjoying ourselves. Get in touch with me through email or instant messenger on Facebook or Twitter, whatever access that is most accessible to you to, to get to us. Feel free to reach out and we'll set something up. Cause again, we want to see everybody and we want to get to learn about your Pearl Jam intake and Pearl Jam life, so to speak. So until then, hopefully you guys are really enjoying the shows because they are something special, especially so far. And if you're not subscribed on Spotify or Apple, please, that helps the, out the show. More subscribers means more visibility and more comments means more visibility too. And that's really a huge thing. And I know I sort of wait for the end of the show where a lot of people might have tuned out by this point, but... If you are listening to this right now and you haven't given us five stars on Apple or commented, we would love it for you to do that. And if you send us a screenshot, we'll shout you out on the show and give you a thank you because everybody likes having their name shouted out on a podcast, right? Right? Yeah, that's, that's half of the excitement, right? So we'll give you a shout out if you do that for us, if you help us out. We'll give something a little bit back to you. Maybe we'll uh, we'll sneak in a bootleg for you as well. So, all right. Until we get to our third vault show next week and all the rest of the shows that are coming up, this may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, miss you already. Miss you always. What is the final word from Mr. Johnny Farrar? What a fucking dump. 